horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for being with us again on Winning Ponies. Looking forward to the show, as always. Going to be bringing you uh, two guests from different coasts and from different sides of the racing world. One you've never heard of and one that's been on the show quite often. The one you've never heard of is Judd Fisher. Do you know that name? Now, you probably don't, but Team Chrome sure do because Judd Fisher is the farrier for North America's most popular horse, California Chrome. As you know, California Chrome won the first two jewels of the Triple Crown and may have had his bid for that Triple Crown compromised. Shortly after he came out of the gate at Belmont Park, he came away with a hoof injury. Judd Fisher will give us insight not only to that hoof injury, but to what it's like to be around such a horse of greatness and what a great story. And then with us is uh, Eric Wing. Uh, an outstanding handicapper. He's pretty much been there, done that, uh, a graduate of Dartmouth College. Uh, he was the senior staff editor at the Reader's Digest. Uh, then he signed on with the NTRA and the NYRA, and now he's working with the Bible of racing, the daily racing form. Uh, Eric's going to Tell us a little bit about what's going on at the forum. Going to get his ideas of what's going on in the racing world, some of the big rumors that are out there right now. And we're going to handicap the uh, Better Roses from his backyard, Belmont Park. Then we'll go down the Jersey Shore to Monmouth Park and take a look at the Grade 3 Eaton Town. And then we'll ship out to Santa Anita for the summertime oaks. Okay, this might be the worst kept secret in racing in a long time. Don't tell anybody you heard it here, but looks like the Breeders' Cup is coming to Keeneland in 2015. Now, I checked with very, I was going to say high, but top sources at both Keeneland and the Breeders' Cup, and they would not confirm nor deny. They said they were not authorized to give any information out about it. But if you go to USA Today's website or the Horse Racing Nation website or talk to the people at the Louisville Courier-Journal, it sure sounds like Keeneland is going to be host. It uh, uh, was reported, of course, a couple of weeks ago that the polytrack surface was being brought up, the turf surface being put down, and I got a feeling that was a big indicator of things to come. Uh, the World Championships are going to be held October 31st through November 1st uh, this year at Santa Anita for the third consecutive year. And then my money is saying the horse is coming back to Central Kentucky to Keeneland. It will be very interesting to see what they do with the layout because Keeneland on a Saturday can pack in about 45,000 people, but you're shoulder to shoulder, so it will be very interesting uh, if the rumors are true, that uh, to see the layout and the configuration, because you know the Breeders' Cup does demand that you have um, many, many more seats than what Keeneland currently has. All right, well, one of the disappointments in racing is Rosie Napravnik, one of the stars of the sport. She's going to be out for four to six weeks. 
Uh, we sure hope she recovers fast. It was a shoulder injury suffered in a training accident at Churchill Downs earlier in the week. The 26-year-old Napravniks suffered what her husband, Joe Sharp, described as a mild separation of the clavicle at the joint in her left shoulder. And uh, so there's uh, no surgery is going to be required, and she's expected to make a complete recovery. So, Rosie, we are rooting for you. Can't wait till you get back. You've already had uh, quite a uh, quite a year, um, and uh, I know obviously some people are going to pick up the mount on Tapature. We'll talk about that later. But probably the biggest mount she lost, a horse that will race most probably within four to six weeks, will be untappable. It'll be interesting to see who gets named on those horses. Now, in the kind of good news department, it looks like, uh, jockeys Rafael Bayarano and Martin Pedroza are preparing for comebacks. <clears throat> Looks like uh, Pedroza may be coming back earliest. He hasn't ridden since February because of a fractured shin, and he's already back exercising horses, and he hopes that uh, he can maybe ride the final week of the San Anita uh, meet and then uh, resume riding on a full-time basis at Los Alamitos starting on 4th of July weekend. Now, Rafael Bejarano, a gentleman I got to see win his very first race in North America, he injured his collarbone, his shoulder blade, and his rib in a one-horse spill on May 10th, and they're saying that he's going to come back hopefully in mid-July. Of course, uh, Rafael Bejarano has been quite a rising star in our sport. He's been the leading rider in Southern California, uh, having won 18 riding titles at Del Mar, Hollywood Park, Santa Anita, going back to 2007. He was the runaway leader at the Santa Anita Winter Meet, uh, winning his fourth title in the last five years, and he swept the titles at the five race meetings at Del Mar, Hollywood, Santa Anita in 2013. So uh, good wishes to Rafael Bejarano and Mr. Pedroza as they come back. Now, we've got, it looks like we're going to have some uh, trainer changes here. Normandy Invasion has been switched to the barn of trainer Larry Jones. That was record, reported by owner Rick Porter. Uh, of course, Normandy Invasion is a four-year-old tap, but Colt has been cha- trained by Chad Brown. Brown's in New York. Jones is at Delaware Park, and Porter said that he considers Brown a fine trainer and a personal friend, but they're just not having the right luck together right now, and they're going to try something new, and certainly uh, going to Larry Jones is, is not a step down. Uh, you may recall that uh, he was uh, on the, the Derby trails. As a matter of fact, I probably killed him. I think he was my pick. And uh, he ran fourth in last year's Derby, uh, then had an injury, came back this season with an allowance win at Gulfstream Park. Then he finished second behind Palace Malice in the New Orleans Handicap. That's certainly no disgrace. As a two-year-old, he finished second to overanalyze in the Remsen, and at three, second to Verrazano in a solid Wood Memorial Stakes. Uh, in breeding news, the... Horse of the year in Europe for the last several years, Frankel, well, his foals have been born. He's already had 108 foals. Uh, he's going into his second season at stud, uh, pretty much actually be closing out, and uh, he's been represented by 108 foals, 57 colts, 51 fillies, and they say that they are awfully good looking. Of course, he was the son of uh, the leading European sire, Galileo, uh, so Judmont is just loaded. And to speak to how good-looking his foals are, the first foal by Frankel to be offered at public auction 
was sold along with his dam in Folder Frankel for $1.9 million in U.S. money. So that's got to be one good-looking baby, and the people over there at Judmont are very excited. Um, he, in 2013, he was bred to 133 mares, 31 grade or group one winners, and 25 dams of grade and group one winners. <laughs> Let's just say Frankel's going to be off to an awfully good start at stud. Well, for those of you that like to play in the National Handicapping Championship, and I know there's a lot of you out there, the purse has been raised 25% to 2 million dollars so uh they're uh, kicking in an extra two hundred thousand dollars keep an eye out uh, keith chamberlain of course said that uh, all of his qualifying tournaments on site and isle on uh, worked so well that they're just going to keep moving forward and of course two million is going to keep the cappers coming uh this was the 16th year for the national handicap championship so if you're going for it you're going for a good cut of $2 million. Well, Wesley Ward, he likes wearing those top hats. He went over to England to Ascot again, and uh, he, he won with two-year-old coat Hootenanny, dominated 23 rivals in the Windsor Castle Stakes, went off at 7-2, to made all the pace down the straight, and kicked on to win by three and a half lengths. He's a son of Quality Road, by the way. It'll be interesting to see what happens when he returns to the states and in a uh, highly uh, watched matchup at Royal Ascot, the Fugue, a horse that I've lost a lot of money on when he comes over to the <laughs> she comes over to the U.S. Uh, ended up getting the win where uh, Trev was third. Now the Fugue uh, handled this field in the Prince of Wales Stakes uh, rather well in course record time over last year's European Horse of the Year and heavy favorite Trev who struggled in for third. So congratulations to the connections of the feud. Well, uh, let's take a look. Uh, Evan Hammonds uh, was our, our guest handicapper last week. And, of course, uh, him being from central Kentucky, we stayed down there. Churchill Downs, a big Saturday night. The Stephen Foster handicap. Most people were saying, you know, who's going to win this race? Will it be revolutionary? Will it be take charge? Well, guess what? It wasn't either of them. It was the wily old Calvin Borrell who prompted the pace in third, took over with three furlongs left, and recorded a third win in a row on Moonshine Mullen at 10-1. to 1. I was down there uh, on Derby uh, weekend, and he won the Ali Shiva Stakes over a uh, golden ticket and will take charge. So Moonshine Mullen, a former $25,000 claimer, goes on to become a millionaire in winning the Stephen Foster. Second was Will Take Charge, who put in kind of a grinding stretch run, but just couldn't get there, and he uh, lasted by a neck over departing um, a horse that really seems to be coming into his own as a four-year-old. So that was the Stephen Foster, the grade one down at Churchill. Uh, then we uh, took a look at the regret stakes, and, well, the horse that finished first didn't stay up first. A little bit sassy was DQ'd for bumping into Kiss Moon and veered out late in the stretch. Got moved down to fourth because of that. Uh, so uh, the uh, the winner was Oriella's Bell, uh, who did not fare well at all in the Kentucky Oaks and came back. Oriella's Bell coming out of some bullet works for trainer 
Wayne Catalano. Uh, behind her was Personal Diary, and Kiss Moon got put into the third spot. Uh, then the Matt Wynn Stakes. Uh, this is for three-year-old Colts. Some of them were on the Derby Trail. Some of them were in the Derby, and the winner was Tapature. Went off at even money. Didn't fare well in the Derby. Another one that got into some trouble. He was tight between horses and forced out at the seventh, eighth pole. Rosie Napravnik got a big win before her injury by bringing home a Tapature by two lengths. It really was never in doubt. Second was the Ulbinator. A horse was nominated the Triple Crown but didn't have enough points to get in. And uh, third was Almost Famous, who had the lead but faded. Conquest Titan did not hit the board. Uh, Then the final race that I handicapped with Evan Hammonds of the Blood Horse uh, was the Fleur de Lis handicap. And uh, in here, it looked like it was going to be a match race between On Fire Baby and Fifty Shades of Hay. They looked like the standouts. But coming home with Corey Lannery in the saddle, Molly Morgan slipped through along the rail, got clear, came from last to first in this mile and an eighth race, again, paying $22. And in the second spot was 50 Shades of Hay, and third was On Fire Baby. So, no, I'm sorry, Flashy American was, was, was second in that race, and third was 50 Shades of Hay. I stand corrected. So, um... That was a look at, at last week's races. Again, we're going to come back and talk with uh, Eric Wing about um, this week's races. Uh, but before we do that, Judd Fisher is going to be a special guest. He's the guy that puts the shoes on California Chrome. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the triple crown breeders cup travers haskell or your daily races don't worry let winningponies.com make some money for you Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety Ray Ellis on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports.
You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right. Now, I always like when we're uh, able to bring you new and unique guests to, to Winning Ponies, and we're certainly going to do that right now. Uh, we're going to be talking with Judd Fisher, who is the farrier for perhaps the most popular horse in North America right now, California Chrome. Uh, he's a, a guy that got the bug early, following in his uncle's uh, footsteps. He's had some pretty interesting jobs along the way, too, and luckily somewhere along the way he got recommended to Art Sherman, and he's been doing the the footwork for Art for uh, almost seven years right now. So uh, with us right now, Judd Fisher. Judd, how are you? How's the weather out in California? It's nice. A little breezy, but it's nice. Uh, We're sweltering here in the Midwest, but... Uh, thanks for chatting with me a little bit earlier today. Uh, why don't you uh, just uh, bring our listeners up to you know how you developed uh, the, the love of the love of the sport, and then, and then a little bit of what went into your training to, to get you where you are today, shoeing the, the most popular horse in, in America. Take us back to maybe your childhood days with your uncle. I don't. I was always interested in it. I guess and watching him being interested in the whole thing just it was odd to me actually growing up because I wasn't around the horses as much as as he was growing up and um I uh I don't know I don't honestly don't know how I ended up there well uh it it's certainly not easy work. I mean, did you start out maybe helping him by, by, by holding some of the horses he was shoeing or lugging his equipment around, things like that? A lot of watching in the beginning as when I was younger, and then when he'd go to the ranches, like helping finish and pull the shoes off before he got started. And I, I guess as he grew confidence in you, you got to knife the soul out here and there, do little things. Nothing at the racetrack in the beginning. No, and, and actually, at one point in your life, you were a firefighter fighting forest fires. What was that like? It was awesome. It was a great job for a young kid if you want to be gone all the time. How can it be awesome? It would scare the crap out of me. Oh, it was fun. Good times. <laughs> uh, certainly, uh, the, being young, uh, it changes your, your perspective for sure. Now, I believe you started shoeing horses at the age of 23. Several weeks ago, um, I had a guest on who uh, is one of the instructors at the Horseshoe Academy in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, what was your uh, education uh, in becoming a farrier? I'm learning from him when I was younger, and then I come out and stayed with him for probably half a year when I was 18. And did a bunch of things then and went back to Idaho, fought fire. And I ended up going to a horsing school in Phoenix when I was, I think it was right before I turned 23. And learned a lot at the horsing school, especially a lot with um, working in the forge and metal work, like the kind of the old style of shoeing, which I don't do a lot of anymore. But And then I guess the biggest thing was getting underneath the horses and working with people that, 
could teach you something, you know? Now, did you come out with it with an actual degree, or did you just do it for X number of years and then move on? They don't really give you a degree. I guess you get a a letter saying you passed the horseshoeing school. Now, um, uh, you, you told me that in order to horseshoe in in uh, California, you actually have to take, like trainers have to take a trainer's test. You have to take a farrier's test. For the racetrack, yes. The CHRB has a... Uh, a barriers test. So I got out here. I was here for almost two years before I took that test and worked under other people. Well, I think you said maybe you started with show horses and then you kind of found your way into the thoroughbred world. I actually, I worked two or three days a week for a guy that was doing jumping horses and things like that. And then spent a lot of time with my uncle in the first, like when I first got out here. And then start picking up a little bit of work at racetrack farms where there was layups and, and babies coming in. And then, uh, took the test. I, I went to Los Al first. I worked with the quarter horses in the beginning. Well, obviously you made your way over to the other side. How did you get involved with the Art Sherman stable? Just, um, my uncle actually worked for him in the beginning and just, they asked me to come and help them out, and I've been there ever since. Now, California Chrome, uh, as far as three-year-olds go, uh, has one of the uh, longest race records. I mean, he has pretty much until this week been in training for 15 months. Have you been working his feet uh, since back in April of 13 when uh, he broke his maiden at Hollywood Park? Yeah, before that, when he first came in as a two-year-old, I guess I... I started working on him. Well, <clears throat> tell our audience, because some horses exude greatness. Other horses grow into greatness. Um, tell me what your, your first impressions were and, and what it was like watching him develop over those months. Uh, I always thought he was a pretty cool horse. Like, he was always easy to work with and to work on. And I, maybe he just had some bad luck in the beginning. And I, when he won the stake race, the last stake race at Hollywood Park, that was pretty impressive. And then I started like paying more attention to him. And then he won the Santa Anita Derby and went on from there. Now, um, since he's been training over a year and you've been working on his feet before he even made his first start, tell me, um, a lot of people don't understand that horses like kids that their feet grow were, were there changes in the style of shoe or the size of the shoe that california chrome wore over those periods yeah yeah his foot got bigger as the as the time went on he um in a race plate he wore a size six in a thoroughbred shoe all of them are kind of size different and in the end he was wearing a size seven <laughs> okay, so he, he, did, he did grow grow into his feet. Well, uh, tell us from uh, kind of a, uh, a personal perspective, 
Uh, what was it like? Like you said, I mean, it was kind of after he won that King Glorious uh, stake at, at Hollywood Park where all of a sudden he blossomed into his own. That's when Victor Espinosa uh, started taking over over the mounts. I mean, as much as he was easy to work with and you could kind of tell he was something special, um, did it excite you? Uh, because after that, I mean, he just reeled off six straight wins. What was it like, like when he went into the Cal Cup and, and the San Felipe? And were you with him all along those trails? I didn't. I wasn't at all the races, um, but it was exciting for sure. Uh, the, watching, I watched the San Luis Derby on TV. I went home early that day to watch the races, and it was amazing just to see, to be involved in something like that. Actually, now did you get to go on on, on the Triple Crown? trail at all or once he had his shoes on was he good to go i went to every race um we shot him a week before he left for the kentucky derby and he ran in those shoes for the kentucky derby and he ran in those shoes for the preakness and i went to belmont a week before the race the day before they worked him and shot him again and watched him work the next day made sure everything was good and got on the plane and come home and went back that next weekend to watch the race. Well, I've, I've got to ask you, as these things are going on, how much of a demand is there for one of his shoes? <laughs> I mean, do you have to hide them in a box or give them to Art or give them to one of the owners? I mean, who wouldn't want a shoe that was worn by a Kentucky Derby winner? I never got any of them. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, you'll have a shot come in the off, future. They were taken. Well, a lot of people are going to want to know, as, uh, as reported in the daily racing form today, it looks like he's going to get a little bit of a rest. But you got to see him when he came back to Los Al. Can you, uh, you, I, we did see some shots on the Internet uh, in, in some magazines about his injury. Can you, can you describe to us, uh, through your eyes, what you saw and then what the steps were taken to remedy it? He, uh, after the race, Yes. After he grabbed himself, or After he didn't grab himself, I don't think, I hope. In fact, uh, usually when a horse grabs himself with his hind foot, they usually take the shoe off as it happens when they grab the quarter. And the way that it was sliced up, it definitely looked like the other horse did it. And when uh-huh. he got back to the barn, we just stuck an animal index on it. It's like a, I don't know, it's a, a piece of cotton. There's medication on it. I don't know what medication's on it. And it just draws out the soreness. So that was the first step. And the next day he got sent back to LaSalle. And then the groom started working on it. And the groom actually does a very, very good job. So I left it up to him. It's um, pretty much just a time thing. You have to wait for it to heal. Now, in uh, one of the photos I saw, it looked like uh, he had a, uh, a nick a few inches above the, the back of the hoof. Was that just superficial? Up on the, the back of the tendon? Yes. It wasn't nothing bad. No, I mean, it wasn't extreme, for sure. I don't know how it happened. I don't know where it happened, but it wasn't extreme. Well, that's that. That's good news. That, that is very good news. Uh, we're, we're talking with uh, uh, Judd Fisher. Well, Judd, uh, our, uh, I know he's going to get a little bit of a rest. You're going to continue your work with Art Sherman. I've got to guess you're pretty excited about the the day you see old Callie Chrome walking down the shed row again. For sure. <laughs>
Well, I'm sure your uh, services will be in demand. You did a fantastic job with that horse, uh, even though he only lost to Belmont by uh, by uh, by two lengths. Uh, I don't think that took a whole lot of shine off his reputation. And all I can say is the the entire team, and as you know, it does take a team uh, to keep a horse together to, to go through what this horse went through. Uh, you, you all deserve a great pat on the back. But like they say, no hoof, no horse. And Judd Fisher, you did a great job. Thank you. Okay. We've been talking with Judd Fisher, the man that puts the shoes on California Chrome. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to one of my favorite people in racing and a darn good handicapper, too. His name is Eric Wing. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. Leave the bitch's ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, a frequent guest here on Winning Ponies, one of my favorite guests and favorite guys just to hang around with in the racing world is, is Eric Wing. As you know, he's done a little bit of everything. I was always, I'm going to forget one day, I met him at a, a bar out in Tucson, Arizona, and found out what his job was before he got into racing. And he was the senior staff editor at Reader's Digest. So uh, kind of an interesting way to get into it. Certainly it, it speaks to his ability to, uh, to manage and, and to, uh, to write and to know what, what should be in print. Uh, you know, from, from there, he had done everything from the director of communications at, uh, at Naira, uh, worked for a long time in corporate communications, uh, not only with Naira, but at the NTRA. He devised and implemented the, their whole public relations organization. So a guy that's uh, steeped in racing, but is also steeped in the daily racing form. And I do believe that that's who he's uh, doing work for right now. Eric Wing, how you doing? I'm great, John. Pleased to celebrate my three-week anniversary at Daily Racing Form with you. 
All right. Well, as you know, if you listen to this show, I'm I'm big on the DRF guys. Uh, my my uh, fingers have been stained with, with the ink of the daily racing form since the days I was a kid that I would wait at Colson's newsstand at 1130 at night in Albany, New York, when a truck would pull up and throw the piles of forms down. And my brother Bob and I would grab one up, run back to the house and start getting ready for Saratoga the next day. It is the Bible. Uh, John, I have to tell you, I've been to Colson's and done just what you what you said. <laughs> have you really? On, uh, what is it on State Street? Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. That's back in the day that uh, you and I are old enough to remember. Where if you wanted the form uh, a day ahead, you had to camp out at a Colson's or, or at a certain uh, newsstand that you knew got it that early. Otherwise. You, you had to get it that morning. I think uh, I used to go to the track every year on uh, Martin Luther King Day simply because that was the one Saturday, or excuse me, Sunday when, when you could get the Monday form in advance. Right. Because they printed early. But yeah, now it's a whole new world. Um, not only can you get it a day early as a matter of course or matter of routine, but the other problem folks like you and I had is if we ever wanted to play a track that was uh, maybe not in the immediate vicinity, you had to worry that your, the track you wanted to play was in your local edition of the form. And, of course, now in the era of the Internet and downloading, it, it kind of solved that in a good way for all horse players. So you can, you can be in Ohio and play Emerald, or you can be in New York and play... Uh, Sam Houston, if you want, it's, it's uh, the internet's opened up a whole new horizon for, in so many ways, but especially for we horse players. Well, as as much as uh, I I do have the, the DRF program and I, I am a member and I do do my downloads there, there's still nothing like me getting my fingers. On, on the hard print. And, I, and it seems to me you probably want to get out of that business, but you're kind of on the advertising end of it now, so uh, you, you've got to maintain an interest, I'm sure, not only of placing ads on the Internet, but still getting people to support your hard copy. Yeah, and believe it or not, uh, everything you just said was right except the part about wanting to get out of the print business. Um, that might have been the case a few years ago when, you know, the cost of, of uh, paper was spiraling upward. However, um, the racing form under its CEO, John Hardig, has made a couple of, of pretty conspicuous steps in the last, uh, uh, really in the last few months um, that I'm sure all horse players have noticed. The, uh, the, the racing form was able to trim its size without um, reducing the size of the print. So, so people like me who have, has, have a little trouble seeing sometimes, it's still the same size print. It's just got a lot less uh, empty white space around the edges. Uh, the other beauty to that, by the way, in today's world is it's a lot easier to stock in a newsstand at that size than, than it was when it was in its larger iteration. Uh, however, those uh, kind of cost savings without um, cutting into the quality has, has allowed the racing form not just to survive but actually prosper in, this, in, in an age where paper and ink are more expensive than ever. So it, it's been a, 
it, it's really been a, a, bol- a great move for us and allowed us to keep proudly printing away uh, uh, with every bit as much uh, enthusiasm as we ever have. And not only that, uh, to speak to uh, perhaps a philosophical change, and I don't know if it had anything to do with the thoroughbred record going out of business, but you've actually expanded your writership uh, with your breeding section, which I absolutely love. I've always been a student of it, and I'm a big fan of, of, of Mark Simon and Joe Nevels and, and the other people that you have on staff there. And, and I, I just think that that's a really nice added value uh, to the form now, and I, I, I think you guys do a great job. Thank you, John. That uh, DRF breeding is a, is a uh, integral part of the paper, particularly on Sundays. You mentioned Mark Simon, the for- former editor-in-chief at Thoroughbred Times. He's the editorial director now at the form, and, and uh, both with respect to DRF breeding and something else you might have seen um, a bit of in print and especially online, DRF Harness. Um, we think that, you know, with the demise, the unfortunate demise of Thoroughbred Times, there was a void there um, in the marketplace for people like you who want to, who are interested in breeding and want to read more about it. It's not crowding out our, our emphasis on handicapping by any means, but there are a lot of people in the industry and, and uh, or who aren't directly involved but love following it as a fan who want more breeding coverage, we try to supply that. We also think there's an immense um, there's immense room for growth in the harness racing industry um, in terms of you know a lot of people, myself included, got interested in paramutual wagering and horse racing via harness racing. Myself, having grown up very close to Yonkers Raceway, that was kind of my entree into the broader game. And uh, we think with the DRF readership and being able to promote uh, certain tracks, certain um, big races like last week's uh, Pepsi North America Cup at Mohawk, a million-dollar race, um, that there's there's a lot of room to raise uh, that tide or that water level as well, and that's a big part of what I'm doing at the Racing Forum is working with racetracks and kind of explaining to them how they can utilize the various assets of daily racing form, whether it's our great stable of handicappers, which just increased with the addition of Matt Bernier, who many people might know via the the horse player show on Esquire yeah. or the old uh, the, the old uh, stalwarts like uh, Mike Watchmaker and Steve Christ and David Grenning and Mike Welch um, it's really a great team and now having the online um, world to to do videos we have a studio right in our offices in Manhattan to do to tape videos and uh, handicapping and otherwise. Um, there's a lot that go. There's a lot to offer in addition to the print copy, and uh, we'd like to think we can help the tracks and the industry gain new fans and help each track uh, boost their handle just by the way we package what we have to offer. Well, you know, the one thing you know I, I have seen over the years is, uh, for lack of a better word 
people like to be touted, uh, especially people that are new at the track. They like to know that uh, Byron King or Mike Watchmaker or Marty McGee <clears throat> like a certain horse, and it's neat how you go across the country. I'll name drop Steve Anderson and Jay Priven and a few other guys. Uh, that these guys, you know, during the, the certain parts or for the big races, will actually, you know, you weekend warrior with Mike Watchmaker will give their selections out. Fans figure, look at. There's a reason why this guy's being paid year round to work for the racing form. He knows his stuff. I'm going to read this, and I may get some insight that I didn't see off the past performances. And I think that's a huge plus. Is you know you've got a lot of guys that have been there a lot of years. Yeah, and and you hit on something too. I think even Mike Watchmaker would be the first to agree with this. The beauty of that of, <laughs> of touting in that way, you may agree or disagree with the the horse. Mike ultimately decides is his pick in a given race, but to be able to break it down and point things out um, that may have occurred for uh, to one or more of these horses in their previous races that don't necessarily um, jump out at you from reading the PPs, that can be as instrumental in either choosing a horse or eliminating a horse as, as anything else, so it's uh, as fun as it is to say that, oh, Mike went two for three or Mike went 0 for three, it's those nuggets of information that help uh, an informed horse player make a better decision. And uh, one thing we're always proud of at Daily Racing Form, uh, the people who do read the paper, they tend to be uh, take a much more intellectual approach to the game than the average uh, player and they tend to bet more than the average player. So uh, <laughs> we're glad that they, that they feel that the racing form is uh, a necessary companion in their handicapping endeavors. Well, in doing so, uh, we're going to put your feet to the fire here. Let's just start out with a race that's going to happen in your backyard, then we'll take a little bit of break and come back to two others. We'll start with the uh, Better Roses Handicap. Looks like it brought together an interesting cast of characters. Uh, you've got a couple Pimlico invaders. Uh, I think you've got a, kind of a young upstart here, an, an ultimate shopper. And, and I'm guessing that perhaps Mary Meadow is the, is the filly with the target on her back. Uh, how, how does Eric Wings see this race developing? Boy, well, nothing like getting the toughest race of the group out of the way first, John. Uh, <laughs> I found this race very difficult. Uh, for a grade three stake, I thought it came up very tough. In addition, not just quantity, but based on the 11 horses, but a lot of quality. You got a couple of them coming out of grade one races, dipping down to grade three. You got some up and comers, like you say. I'd have a tough time talking anybody out of almost any horse in this race if they really liked one or the other. Um, there are a couple of horses I'm, I'll mention, though. Uh, the number 10 street girl. Who's who's seven to two in the morning line, but I think will go off every bit of that. Does come out of the Humana Distaff. Um, I can point out a couple of things that aren't necessarily evident from the racing form. Uh, <clears throat> she did angle or change uh, alter course pretty severely in the stretch. Uh, no disgrace losing to a midnight lucky, but I think maybe even more salient, a couple of the horses she beat in, um, in, uh, in that race that finished behind her were Judy the Beauty, who's a bona fide grade one sprinter, oh, yeah. and also Iotapa, 
who last weekend came back and just blitzed the field in the uh, Santa Margarita at Santa Anita. So that might be a pretty live race. She did have trouble, and uh, seven furlongs should, based on her last race at, on Derby Day, should suit her fine. The other horse I think is interesting, and this is one of those horses, John, you know, you talk about first or last horses. She, she might be last, but she might be first. Classic Point, who's running back on, on two weeks rest for the chief, Alan Jerkins, Two back, she just blows away an allowance field at, at Gulfstream, very impressively. She's got a trio of 90-plus of buyers lurking farther down in her form, so she's got some back quality without question. Last time out, she's on, in the six-horse Ogden Phipps on Belmont Day, and, and she had the look of a horse that might have been hustled into that race to fill out the field because, you know, how many people were that crazy about taking a shot against Close Hatch's Princess of Silmar and Behold Right, her. right. <laughs> and that's, I'm that's telling a great you, observation, she, Eric. She wound up finishing last, but she just bolted out of that gate. She got an, uh, just a crazy high pace figure on my calculations. If uh, Junior Alvarado can slow her down... And the turn back from a mile and a 16th to seven only figures to help. But she went out so fast. She showed me a lot of ability for a horse that ultimately finished last in the race. If she, she's, got, she's better than she looks off her last race. I'll leave it at that. And if I were playing in a contest, uh, this is the type of long shot with a chance that I would be all over. And she'll pro- I'll probably risk some money on her on, in case what I saw was, was on the mark. Well, some excellent observations. I'll give you the, the, the horse that I'm kind of liking because I, I think Mary Meadow will probably go off. I, by the way, I downloaded early, so I don't have any odds. Uh, the horse's name is Ultimate Shopper. She's, she's a filly that I think's got a lot of upside to her. Um, what I like is she's only raced at Belmont twice, her first and last race. Both of them were wins, and this is a seven-furlong race, a unique distance. She's only raced that twice. She's won both of that. I think her, she had a race on poly track where she just got beat and shipped all the way down to Keeneland for that. And if you go back to her second start, she gets uh, uh, beat by a horse by the name of Mary Meadow, who I, I believe got might have got uh, DQ'd out of that race, and uh, it said in tight and checked. Only made four lifetime starts, has never finished worse than third, and like I said, two for two for Belmont and two for two at seven. She's a lightly raced horse. Uh, she's she's going to be my upsetter. Do you have the odds in front of you? Because maybe I'm picking uh, three to one. Uh, I don't know. She's twelve to one in the morning line, John, and I can't argue with one thing you said. The other thing I'll add is, I mean, for people who care, and personally I do, she's dropping 11 pounds off her last race. She's getting in with a feather, as they, as they said back when we were, uh, when Hermes was uh, doing his graded analysis uh, there <laughs> in the racing form. In very light, she was a real, she was a, a good thing when she debuted at Belmont in, on October 3rd. I was still working at Naira then, um, kind of tipped all around the racetrack, and it, you know, in addition to all the good things you said, she might just be rounding back in the form now and getting in light. So she's very, very interesting, and she's 
She's the stable maid of, here. of uh, Street Girl, who comes tie her up with Humana Distaff. So Eddie uh, Keeley has producer is one on the front, on the window, one on the rear. Better take a break. So we'll take a break, and uh, we'll come back, and we'll go to Mammoth for the Eaton Town, and then the Summertime Oaks out at Santa Anita. We are visiting with Eric Wing, and you're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, handicapper Eric Wing, now working with the Daily Racing Forum. If you decide to head down towards the Jersey Shore, you can go to Monmouth Park on Saturday, the Grade 3 Eatontown, mile and a 16th on the turf. Call me the master of the obvious. Again, I don't have odds in front of me, but I've got to think that the one to beat in here is the French bred mare, Orion Moon. Uh, talk about a horse that uh, was made to run on the grass. Uh, throw out her one synthetic start. She's made every lifetime start on the turf, uh, likes the distance, and um, relishes the weeds. And uh, just missed against uh, Coffee Click, who I think came back and won a stake a week or two ago. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is she the one to beat? Yeah, she absolutely is, John. And Coffee Click won the Grade One just a game. Longines just a game on Bel- on the Belmont Stakes undercard. Uh, she came back to run second in the Bogey behind Waterway Waterway Run, who's a Chad Brown horse. But she's absolutely the horse to beat, and will be the deserving favorite. 
underneath, who do you put? You got this Nashley's Vow shipping in from Pimlico, the, another one that really seems to be a horse that relishes a mile and a 16th on the turf, five starts, three wins, and a second. Uh, you, you got the, uh, the the question mark Rusty Slipper, but she comes from the Grand Motion Barn. And, and uh, Lady Ten, if you could throw her last race out, uh, making her uh, East Coast second start. I don't know where to go underneath. I really like the first one of that group that you mentioned, Nashley's Val. She's four for seven lifetime on the turf. The three losses all came at Laurel in her only three starts there. So if you if you make the leap that she just doesn't care for the Laurel turf course, which gets kind of marshy and boggy sometimes, or at least it used to, um, she's kind of a, a little bit of a winning machine. I also think she's, while she doesn't have to be on the lead, I think she's clearly the controlling speed in this race on a course that's often kind to speed. She's dropping four pounds. I might actually take a little shot against Orion's Moon with Nashley's Vow while being careful to box the two. If you're going to bet them, you got to box them. Okay, well, I don't want uh, people to think we're too uh, East Coast bound here this evening. Uh, we'll go out to Santa Anita. I think uh, the goal here might be just just box the horses that Hollendorfer and Baffert have in there. You're, you're probably in pretty good shape. These guys, these guys are loaded for bear. They're both in this race uh, with, with uh, several horses uh, that could get the job done. Yeah, that, they've got four of the eight uh, between the two of them. Um, I thought this race didn't come up as tough. I mentioned the Better Roses came up very tough. I thought for a grade two, this came up a little on the weak side, and that might be evidenced in who I'm going to mention here. But I like the inside two horses, JoJo Warrior, one of the Baffords. Um, if she, if she, Baffert is one of the best at stretching out, and the knock on JoJo Warrior is she hasn't been two turns, but Baffert's the master at going short to long. And JoJo Warrior, I think, has more talent than these. Uh, the instant racing uh, stakes at Oaklawn, she was, ran really well despite a lot of trouble. And she got unlucky in her next two also. The, the, the other horse I find interesting is a maiden right next door in the two-hole, Live For Now. Yeah, I'm had surprised what is, to see him. But it's for this field, one. a very competitive 81 buyer, despite being four wide all the way around the track. And... Um, you know, she she's got a little. She ran against Shapely, who's a nice horse. Um, her debut, which is uh, she ran pretty admirably against a future stakes winner in streaming. I think in this field, I, I think you could do worse than live for now. I might box those two inside uh, posts and and take my chances. Well, uh, yeah, like you said, this is a this is a pretty pretty wide open field. The horse I find interesting is this Delta Flower. I looked down here and I started seeing restricted races, and I realized it's an Arkansas bred that's been switched to the barn of Jerry Hollendorfer uh, after winning at Santa Anita at seven furlongs. Of course, Hollendorfer's not too bad at, at getting them to stretch out. And it looks like uh, th- th- this uh, filly got some guts. She fought back at the rail in that last race, and Hollendorfer, he's had the golden touch these days, so she's one I wouldn't ignore in this race for sure. And, and she had to show some big time talent for a bloodstock agent to it, it, to be attracted to an Arkansas bred. Nothing against the Arkansas breds, but they tend not to um, compete in open company very often. That was obviously the plan with Delta Flower and shipping her out west. So um, if she is able to stretch out to two turns, um, she'll be a factor also. 
Well, Eric, I thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. I wish you best of luck. Say hi to any of my friends back there uh, in the in the daily racing uh, form uh, that that you have, and uh, I hope that we'll get to cross paths at, at a at a racetrack near you soon. Same here, John. It's always a pleasure to be on with you and and with your listeners. Well, I got all your numbers, so you can't get away from me now. <laughs> Not All right, I, we've been talking with with Eric Wig from the from the Daily Racing Forum, many of the great stars of that stable, and I want to thank uh, Judd Fisher. I know uh, he is a guy that's probably hasn't been interviewed much before, but it's good to shine the spotlight on the little guys in this sport of kings. And obviously, as they say, for the want of a nail or no hoof, no horse, he's the guy that took care of those feet of California Chrome as he flew to two of the three wins of the Triple Crown and fell only two links short of history. So for Eric Wing and Judd Fisher and all my friends at Winning Ponies, I want to thank everybody for listening, I want you to tell you to get in there, get those easy win forms. They've been bringing home a slew of winners. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.